Shalom Alechem. Happy Friday. Shabbat Shalom. Oma Mishpoche. Mayuhudim. Magoyim. Everybody, I love you all and I hope you enjoy this. It's going to be all about nutrition training and sleep and just improvement methods. This is what I gave my boys up north in Elliott Lake because, yes, I do help do strength and conditioning remotely for a team eight hours up north. Anyways, let's get right to it. So I kicked it off with nutrition in this meeting. I gave them the simple advice of consume one gram of protein per pound of body weight, assuming you don't have body fat percentage over 15% and that you're a little leaner. Now, for people that don't like the pounds, you can do 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight, and it'll be the same. With this amount, you will never, ever have to worry about under-eating protein. You'll never ever even have to worry about losing muscle, actually. It's in pretty much impossible unless you're overtraining. And uh, the bare minimum, according to NSCA, is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. You can just run those numbers real quick in your calculator. So again, 2.2 grams per kilogram of your body weight or 1 gram per pound of your body weight. Uh, I even saw some literature recently stating that 3 plus, it was like 3 or 3.3 grams per kilogram of protein still didn't destroy people's livers. So people, it is literally impossible to overeat on protein unless you're Dwayne The Rock Johnson or something. Do not be afraid of overconsuming your protein. I'm telling you. Moving on, pair your fats and proteins with sugars and starches. This is a blood sugar thing. When you eat sugars and starches, your blood sugar is going to shoot up. But if you pair it with a fat or a protein, your RQ or RER it goes down. It's a fancy term for just that blood sugar measurement. It goes down almost to that baseline neutral level. And you won't ever have to worry about diabetes. You won't have to worry about your energy depleting. And when I mean that, I mean like the perceived energy. Like your blood sugar dropping makes you feel sleepy. And you won't have to worry about that. Uh, moving on. You need fat for your testosterone. So anyone who likes to work out and train and lift heavy and do things that involve demand... You want testosterone high, so you obviously perform at your best. You need at least 15% of your diet to be fats, in, or else your testosterone will decrease. Keep that in mind. Fat does not turn to fat. It turns to energy. This is a piece of advice I give to everybody. Ugh, so many people think fat turns to fat. Not true. It's, it's a calorie, and it's going to be used as energy. Uh, by the way, we, I think we all know this by now. Excess calories, aka being in a positive energy balance, aka eating more calories than you burn, that leads to fat gain. Because our body is somewhat efficient in the way that it conserves the fat for later. Uh, one sec. Okay, this one is for all my people to exercise a lot. When you are done a workout, consume carbohydrate immediately that's sugar starch or fiber now the sugars and starches will hit the bloodstream quicker than the fiber this increases your gas tank the gas tank that gives you energy we call this glycogen okay when you replenish your glycogen aka the carbs like the energy in your muscle and liver when you replenish that after a workout the gas tank the amount of glycogen you can store in your muscles and liver increase this is actually if you guys are wondering the difference between people 
who seem to eat whatever they want and it just never is stored to fat. It's because their gas tank has adapted to their energy demands over the course of their life. If that's a mouthful, let me say it again. Their gas tank has actually grown larger to match the energy demands of their lifestyle. And this doesn't take a week or two. This takes years. And this is why people can eat a lot of crap or just a lot of food in general and they never seem to gain weight or they just never seem to gain body fat. It's because their body's using it. Remember, when this gas tank in your body overflows with gas, aka energy, the food you're eating, that's what turns to fat. Now, some people's gas tanks are tiny because their body, again, an efficient vehicle we have, has a small gas tank if a person doesn't use energy a lot. So if a person's not burning energy fast and often, the body says, okay, we don't want to store energy from food into glycogen. We don't want to do that. And because remember, the reason our body stores glycogen is because it's quick. Energy in your muscle and liver, which is glycogen, that is quick, ready to go energy. And so it's not fat because fat is not quick energy. It's slow energy. Now that you understand this, the person with the small gas tank, it overflows easily. All it takes is them, you know, eating a moderately sized meal and they overflow the gas tank and a little bit of fat is stored. And because they're never exercising, it might take them a long time the next day to get through their glycogen stores. For most active people, it's 2,500 calories is what you can store in glycogen. So if people are eating um, anything around there, but they're not really burning a lot of calories, uh, they're going to slowly put on fat. And, and it's not like they become overweight in a day. We're, we're talking a decade. They might start to notice like, ah, oh, this is that fat that I just can't get rid of. Well, it's because it's going to take a long time to increase the homeostasis. It's going to take a long time for that gas tank you have, aka the glycogen in your muscle and liver, to go up. And that's what homeostasis is, is your body not wanting to change. Your body's going to resist increasing the gas tank. But over time, adaptation will occur and it's going to take months and years. Folks, after a workout, consume carbohydrate and get the glycogen stores filled back up so the body says, oh, okay, we're going to be exercising tomorrow. We need, uh, we need more gas tank. Simple as that. That's how our body adapts. Next, hydration. Simple. Sip all day. Don't chug all at once. People sometimes forget to drink water and they chug a, a liter at night or whatever, not a good idea, but I always say, if, if that's the last resort, do it, if you have to chug it to be hydrated, then chug it, we do not want dehydration, so it's almost like the most optimal, optimal case is to sip water all day to be hydrated, but if, if not, plan B is to chug it, let's move on to training, I'm not a dietitian, by the way, so that's why I just keep it simple with nutrition, a dietitian would break it down into like how certain micro and macronutrients paired together and uh, intolerances versus tolerances. They would cover all of that. Training. simple. This is actually, ironically, the, the easiest and most simple part of all of this. Progressively overload people. Every couple months, progressively overload. Progressive overload looks like increasing weight. Reps, sets, tempo or decreasing tempo decreasing or increasing rest now it's funny it's like you remember when you played sims and people had skills and deficiencies just like in race car games like mario kart and stuff same thing you can see 
Oh, you want more traction? Well, it's going to mean your speed decreases. Oh, you want more flying ability? Well, it means speed decreases because the way... Like, one thing will affect the other. Oh, you want more speed? Okay, your handling goes down. Like, that's the same as um, when you progressively overload. If you decrease rest, you're going to not lift as much, but you'll increase your muscular endurance. So that's an, uh, one way to for your body to adapt by increasing the capillary density and increasing sarcoplasmic hypertrophy like those will go up but then let's say somebody increases rest time boom you've now just also increased your weight because you can now lift more get what i'm saying or you can do more reps by, by increasing rest you can maybe do more reps simple as that um, the list goes on you could literally just tweak each variable and then it changes other things and that's progressive overload people now the most common way is increasing your weight simple I do recommend sticking to compound lifts unless you're working out six days a week, you can afford to do isolation. If you are like most of my guys here and most of my athletes and most of my busy adults with busy lives, best bang for your buck are compound lifts, meaning multi-joint movements. Isolations when you only do one joint movement, like that didn't make sense, but it's when you do a single joint movement. Compound lifts are multi-joint. Examples of these. Compound lifts are squats, deadlifts, bench, and row. Whereas in isolation would be a bicep curl, tricep extension, calf raise, leg extension, hamstring curl. Those are isolation because it's just one joint versus multiple joints. Do mobility, but specifically controlled articular rotations. Go Google that. Controlled articular rotations. Cars. People hear mobility, they think stretching. No, that's flexibility. That's how far can we stretch a tissue? How flexible is the tissue? Mobility is being able to move something from one place to another. Remember, it's different than motility. Motility is when something else moves something from one place to another. Hence, like, like, and that's why motility and flexibility go hand in hand. Because when you can stretch a tissue, that means you can also use an external force to push the tissue into deeper range. So they kind of go hand in hand. Because one is like joint and bone based. The other isn't. Uh, mobility is different though. This is active range of motion. This is where actively, how far can you get your tissues into ranges with your own muscles? And so again, like I say, bones are specifically what we're talking about with motility. Mobility is movement of the bone. When you can actively with your muscles, move your bone into deep range, that is great mobility. And that's what controlled articular rotations do. Now, mobility is also being able to move at end range, but Maybe you are in a 90-90, so you're pushing against the ground. Or maybe you're in a pigeon, but you're getting in and out of a pigeon. So some mobility intertwines with flexibility and motility. But just remember, anytime you have to move a joint through range, that is mobility. But the key is being able to do it with your own muscles. So just type in mobility, you'll see what I mean. That is key. Moving on, interval training. These are hockey players I was talking to, so I told them interval training is key. Keep that in mind, context dependent. Intervals help with blood pressure. Now I'm talking to the general population. So if you're listening and you're gen pop, intervals do help with your blood pressure, right? Because they vasodilate the blood vessels. The blood vessels go out and then they restrict in, they stretch. That's really good for our our blood vessels, uh, specifically the flow of blood. So it's good for our heart, actually, because when you extrapolate blood vessels being flexible um, and dilating very well, 
meaning the heart doesn't have to work as hard. And we don't want the heart working that hard. When the heart has to work very hard, we get disease in the heart, actually, fun fact. Um, and so that's the, bos- the positives of interval training. The positives to slow, steady state, because that's the opposite of intervals. Is, and by the way, intervals is you go 30 seconds on, 30 off, or it could be a minute on, minute off. Literally is just a time on and a time off in your cardio. And the intensity is typically a little higher because you get to break, which is opposite to, like I said, the slow, steady state where there is no break. And for that reason, intensity is low, but you go for a long time. Now, that's really, really great for the elasticity of the lungs. It's really great for your actual, uh, like for the heart, because it's a muscle. And the hypertrophy of the left ventricle is what's key. And they've done tons of studies on the left ventricle hypertrophy. And, and that's a good indicator of someone's longevity in life and their heart attack risk. Fun fact. Um, but balances everything because there have been some elite athletes with extremely massive left ventricles of the heart and it's been an issue actually the heart um it's too much uh, i'm not an expert on the heart actually but i just I, I know for a fact like that is you don't want a olympic level left ventricle which sounds really nuanced and it is but go do steady state and mix it in with intervals you should do everything uh speaking of intervals there's a thing called tabata you might have heard this tabata is 20 seconds on 10 seconds off for eight rounds which accumulates to four minutes and it is uh it was created by a japanese researcher uh hence tabata and it's been studied for blood pressure a lot and by the way the intensity for tabata or as we say the rpe rate of perceived exertion is 10 out of 10 you're supposed to go balls to the wall it's incredible and um i do with clients it's great uh yeah really cool 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 anyways um what was I going to say? Ah, different cardio methods. AMRAPs, as many rounds or reps as possible in a given time frame. This is great for competitive people who want to set personal bests and remember how many rounds they got through in a specific time frame. And some people like every minute on the minute, EMOM, or every two minutes on the minute. Um, and this is simply, let's take a simple 20 kettlebell swings. You do 20 kettlebell swings inside a minute. And the quicker you get done, the longer break you have. So if it takes 30 seconds to do 20 swings, that means you have a 30 second break. If you're, if you decide to take it easy and it takes 45 seconds to do 20 swings, you only get a 15 second break. That's every minute on the minute. Some people like this, some don't. Another way to do it, people, there's so many ways to reach your goals. Now let's dive into the, I guess, since we're talking about this, since you guys are gen pop, let's talk about power. Cause if I'm going to tell you about progressive overload in the weight room, I might as well give you some nuances on power. So anytime you do something high velocity, um, you're going to fatigue quicker. So the brakes are longer, the reps are lower. Now, sometimes when it comes to power, people will do something called a plyometric. That's jump training. Literally, it's just jumping. Now, if you jump the second you hit the ground, that's called a stretch shortening cycle repetition. It, it means that when tissues lengthen, they want to shorten quickly. So you can manipulate that and actually teach your body to shorten tissues extremely quickly after you lengthen them. Uh, there's something called ground reaction force. So if, let's say I told you to jump as high as you can, but you start on the ground. You would load up the hips and jump. And you do that all in maybe a um, quarter of a second. And your body would be able to produce a little more force in that time. Whereas let's say I told you to fall off of a box and jump as high as you can. But once again, I wanted you to, to maybe stay on the ground for um, a 12th of a second. So even like tiny, you're, you're on the ground, off the ground in a millisecond. It's a stretch shortening cycle rep. That's called ground reaction force because we're measuring the amount of force 
when you hit the ground. Ground reaction force. The amount of force when you hit the ground. When you like, It's a reaction, right? You hit the ground, your body reacts. And then produces force immediately. Versus you start on the ground, you get to load up and, and whatever. That's power. For, uh, for strength, it's kind of, we're just taking velocity out of the picture. So now it's literally how much force can you move? Time is not an issue. Whereas uh, force goes down when we do power because velocity is important. Now notice I've used these three terms, velocity, power, and uh, force. They all go hand in hand because there's something called a force velocity curve. Picture a Y on an X axis. And then imagine you have this curve that, that starts at the very top left of the chart and it goes down down it's staying close to the y-axis and it starts to curve away meeting up with the x-axis and then flattening out really close to the to the x-axis what this means is that when you there is enough enough strength and enough velocity to reach optimal power and that's what we look for um when it comes to power. Some people come in the gym, they have a ton of velocity, no force. So their power output is low. Some people have a ton of force, no, no velocity. So their power output is low. When people have enough power and enough force, their power output is golden. And you're wondering, well, how do you improve it, Zev? That's where it becomes fun as a coach. We call this the art of coaching, where you have to then say, okay, Let's tweak each variable just enough so we don't have one more or the other. Otherwise, power will decrease a little. We want to have power and, sorry, we want to have force and velocity go up together at the same time. But this is where training is a long-term approach because some people come in and it ta- it'll take them six months to get their force production optimal. And then, and then remember, you want pow- uh, velocity to keep up with their force production or vice versa. And hence, we have the perfect balance of force and power. And ideally, you have an individual who is sitting actually in the top right of the chart where force and velocity are at the highest. Um, and that's the force velocity curve. Now, the training, I'm already, the fact that I decided to go out on a whim and just talk about training in general, there's already a million concepts that I, I could touch on. And I'll just list them here for you to Google, but I'm actually not going to talk about it because I want to move on. Isometrics, it's when joints don't move, but muscles do contract. Isometrics, look that up. Isokinetics, this is where you are in the concentric phase, forward and backward in a movement or up and down. It's when, it's like swimming, that's isokinetic. Google it, there's other ways to do it, Google it. Look up pause reps, pause reps. This is a way to mess with tempo to increase tendon density. We call this tensile strength. Google tensile strength. Look up core, anti-rotation, anti-extension, anti-flexion. Anti-core is unbelievable for athletes and everyone because everyone has to resist forces all day long. Look up motor unit sequencing. This is what sprinters do. This is what Olympic weightlifters do. This is what almost every athlete does. And this is why they're as fast as they are, but they also are efficient as they are. Motor unit sequencing. And you can do this when you practice Olympic lifts. That's another thing to Google, Olympic lifts. The literature suggests that power snatching, the most explosive and powerful, by definition, powerful movement out there because the force velocity is at its highest, 
Cleans are on deck as the second most powerful movement. So there's a mindset portion. I told the boys to meditate because remember, when you meditate, your cortisol comes down. Cortisol is our stress hormone. When our body has to manage cortisol and bring it down for us, it doesn't have time to repair tissue. And that is why I always tell my athletes, your body's putting out the fire of stress and has no time to put out the fire of muscle breakdown. So meditation and literally can improve hypertrophy, strength, power, velocity, speed, you name it. Um, but people think meditation is being a monk on a hill with your uh, hands folded and whatever. No, it's being mindful. Google mindfulness practice. That's when you're aware of your senses, all your senses. And yes, I include thought as a sense because your self-talk, you need to be aware of that when you're meditating and being mindful. So you don't even have to close your eyes. You literally go through all your senses, what you hear, what you see, what you taste, what you smell, what you feel, and what you are thinking, what you hear in your head. As you could walk down the street, you, you just, there, that's meditation, and it reduces cortisol, and it will actually improve your life because it's completely improved mine. On deck is whooping. It's an acronym, something that, I don't know if it was coined by Dr. Luis Santos, but still, it is wish, outcome, obstacle plan so we'll do this real quick because i gotta fly through the rest of this podcast whooping so this is what it would be think of something you're wishing for you guys can do this right now think of something you're wishing for what's the outcome of that what's the obstacle that could stop you from getting that outcome and now think of the plan you're going to set to overcome the obstacle so if, if you struggled there, then an, an example is I wish to be financially independent. The outcome of that is I get to travel around the world and not take on jobs because I have to pay bills. An obstacle. See, most people stop at the first two. They just fantasize and that's it. No, 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 no. It's called contrast thinking. We need to make an obstacle, which would be I'm not saving enough money. And you could dive even deeper. Maybe I'm not saving enough money because I have too many subscriptions. So the plan is I'm going to watch similar content on YouTube or on free platforms. And, and then I can invest that money I would spend that I'm not saving and reach my goal. Boom. Whooping. And there's a story about Michael Phelps that I would tell you, but again, I just want to fly through. Actually, screw it. Why not? We'll go over time. And I do have to do something with my sister in a minute. But Michael Phelps, he looked at the bottom of the pool for hours every day when he was training. He got bored. And once he, he thought, what if my goggles fell off in a race? And he counted the amount of strokes it took to do the race. Then guess what happened in the Olympics? His goggles fell off. Or actually, no, they filled with water, which is still the same thing. It's the worst thing that could happen. And he couldn't really see. But he knew how many strokes it took. And he set a world record that race. And all because he whooped. He whooped. He didn't even know he did it. Folks, this is game changing. It's a tool. It'll help you. Moving on. Perspective shifting. Have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. What's the difference? Okay, if you're in traffic, instead of saying, I wish I was out of traffic, I want to be out of traffic. That's a fixed mindset. Have a growth mindset. Say, how can I improve the situation? So you say, I can put a podcast on. I will play music. I will or I can call a family or friend member because you're accepting what's going on and you're now you're making the best of your situation. That, my friends, is crazy helpful for not just athletes, but you. Active manifestation. It's called the Bader-Meyhoff phenomenon. 
It's when what you think about, you focus on, so you see opportunities pop up in life that gear you towards your desire. For example, we got two guys walking down the street, hunk a, a junk on the side of the road. It's a bunch of car parts, right? One guy's goal or desire is to build a car. The other has no desire to do so. So one guy sees it as just junk. He doesn't even actually notice it, right? He's blind to it. The other guy, since he wants to build a car and he's thinking about building cars, so he, um, what you think about, you focus on. So when he sees a hunk of, of car parts, he immediately sees it as an opportunity to build one. So extrapolate that as you wish, but that's how active manifestation works. And you can see opportunities all the time. And this is why people think it's some godly manifestation, but in reality, they were just focused really hard on a desire. And if you say, you know, I really wanted this thing, but the opportunities never came up. Well, clearly it wasn't a, a burning desire uh, to the extent the, that the opportunity wasn't clear enough because there's plenty of chances. And even if the opportunity isn't, for example, someone wants to retire or live a comfortable life, I guess. But let's say they, they're from Compton and they have no hope in getting a stable job that allow them to live a comfortable life. Well, it's because they're thinking of, I can't apply for that job. No, they have to reverse engineer and think, how do I get to the point in which I can apply? You see what I'm saying? So then they have to say, okay, first step is moving or first step is saving up enough money. To move. You gotta go step one in order to get to that, that opportunity in quotations. Anyways, let's finish this up with sleeping methods for improvement. Eight to 10 hours of sleep you gotta get. Unless you're some senior citizen and get away with seven or six because you're old, old, old. Everyone needs eight to 10. Kids, 10 plus. And they did literature on this. There was a study that dropped the uh, starting time for school down to 10 a.m. Get this, kids didn't stay up later. Even though the school started later and, and ended later, they did not stay up later. And it helps kids get more sleep, which is adolescents need 10 plus, which is funny because people tend to sleep more as they get a little older, whereas kids like to stay up late and they don't sleep as much. So tips for good sleep, uh, sleep mask or pitch black room. You shouldn't be able to see your hand in front of your face. Cold room, studies suggest 64 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit is ideal. Do not wear a lot of clothes. Try to sleep naked if you can, because the literature also suggests that your heart rate drops quicker when you are naked or it's cold or you don't have a lot of clothes on. Uh, no screens an hour before bed. No bright lights an hour before bed. Wear blue light blockers. The literature again suggests that melatonin levels decrease when our eyes see bright light after the sun goes down. Don't eat a meal before bed. Snacks are okay, sure, because it won't affect digestion too much. Don't mess with your digestion before bed. It will ruin your REM sleep. That's your deep sleep. It's called rapid eye movement sleep. They noticed it when they first studied this way back that people's eyes started blinking rapidly in their sleep. And that was because they're in the deepest part of their sleep. That was a lot of dense info. I honestly, I didn't think I'd go past 20 minutes, but here we are. So folks, thanks for listening. I hope play this again, because that's a lot of information in 20 minutes. And I hope you're now set for all your training goals and living your best life. This is again, just scraping the surface. I highly recommend you dive in yourself and actually just look up some of the things I talked about. Go and just Google exactly what I said. And you'll actually start diving into articles that talk about even cooler things like, you know, sleeping a lot will flush neurotoxins uh, and protein toxins in your brain that will actually prevent and reduce cancer. So yeah, there's all these cool things I didn't talk about and all the benefits. Folks, yeah, I didn't even talk about the benefits. That's just, that's just crazy. I told you what to do, but I didn't talk about the benefits of all this. 
you can go look up the benefits of your nutrition, everything I talked about with nutrition. You can look up the benefits of all the things I talked about regarding your training. You can look up the benefits of the mindset stuff. You can look up the benefits of the sleep stuff. Like then you'll get into the rabbit hole and it's beautiful. It really, it's a compound effect because it will not only change your current life, but it will change your future generation's life if you start to change your epigenetics. Because that's a whole other concept I could talk about is your RNA and epigenetics will change. Your literal, like part of your DNA will literally change. So if you have a kid and you're super healthy, you got a lot of muscle mass, bone density, lack of disease, metabolism's high, like your DNA is going to be passed on. And there are such things as RNA and epigenetics that kind of change your DNA. Look at people with diabetes, pass on the diabetes. Look at people who are super, their whole family's farm family. So they, they got the muscle mass, pass that on to their kids. Like I'm telling you people, do not sleep on this. Um, thanks for listening. I'm gonna get out of here. See ya. Bye.